couldn't help it. Dishes. Already done. Oh my god, you are an angel. So, did you have a Merry Christmas? Are you kidding me? That was the best Christmas ever. Really? Babe, I had a smile on my face from the moment I woke up. Excited than the kids. Yeah, I know. Honestly. I was the same way. Yeah. <laughs> they like their presents, right? Dana loves her playhouse. <laughs> you weren't up too late building it, were you? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was a breeze. My family didn't ruin your day, did they? No. I love that we hosted this year. Mary, traffic was awful. Three hours. Whoa, you can't wait. <laughs> you sure? Honestly, babe, they made my day. <laughs> hey, Rach, is Cameron sick? I can't believe your cousin made the drive. I know. God, it was so nice to see him. Yeah. Why do I have to take because it off? It's Why? my dinner table in front of my kids. No, you're racist against whites. You're racist against whites. She is. How about you, the hostess with the most, is taking care of everybody? How do you do it? I guess I was just full of Christmas cheer. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a perfect day. Me too. I mean, this is gonna sound corny, but... I don't know if it was you and the kids. You're not adopted. She's not adopted. Why would you tell her that? Or the family being here. But I definitely felt some Christmas magic today. <laughs> I absolutely love them. Come on, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Best Christmas ever? Best Christmas ever. Hearted beginning to the morning there, so <clears throat> something that, on some level I think we can all relate to. Um, well, welcome, welcome if you're here from the morning. Welcome if you're out online uh, watching us. Welcome to our our friends in Tanzania and Pastor Malali. Um, <clears throat> we are talking this morning about uh, we're continuing in our, our series on Advent, second week here. Um, I had a friend <laughs> this week I was talking with, and and she gave me the the benefit of the doubt as a pastor, and she, we, she said, you know, I just kind of, you know, I'd never really uh, understood about Ad Advent. She goes, you must know all about it. And I was like, yeah, totally, yeah, Advent. Um, you know, <clears throat> which I appreciated, but, um, you know, to me, actually, I was, 
growing up Protestant and a lot of that, you know, I, Advent was not something that I ever really celebrated. And as we looked into it and we began to preach this, I, um, it was an interesting thing to me to kind of dive into this a little bit as well. You know, and she, and she had said, um, for her, it was a really interesting thing to just think about, you know, sometimes we get so caught up in the way the world is and, 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 the, and, and you know, despair and darkness and more and all this stuff. And she said, you know, really, kind of looking at the Advent stuff really helped me go, we have so much to look forward to. And we're talking this week about um, kind of preparation and expectation and waiting. And, you know, um, what she said was, you know, as it, it made me realize that we, look, we still have, you know, we still look forward to Jesus coming back, right, and redeeming this. And, and certainly that's something that, that we do look forward to. Um, but in terms of what we're going to talk about this morning, it's so much more than that, right? We're talking about expectation and preparation, and it's really, this is a time of returning, right, and focusing or refocusing our hearts on the things that matter, right? This is a time to prepare not only for the final end of things, but for the things God has for us now, so that we are ultimately prepared if and when he comes again. Um, it was good worship this morning, right? It was good. Um, you know, we use that word every week. But what does it really mean? Have you thought about that? The word worship comes from an old English word I'm not going to try to pronounce because it's like all Gaelic and weird. Um, but yeah, but um, I, can do, I can do Greek. I can't do Gaelic. Um, but it means, it comes, it, you know, if I've heard it, people put it many times like worthship. It comes from the idea of worship, like ascribing to something its worth, right, and giving it what it's due. And so as we get into the message this morning, I want to ask you, what is God worth to you? Right, don't assume that it's a foregone conclusion just because you're here this morning, right? But it, it, it's, it's true if you're here this morning that um, some sense of worth and value to this place has brought you here. But I want you to keep that question in mind as we go forward. Whether you come every week or you're coming back for the first time in a while or you only come around this time of year, something about this place holds importance for you. So as a reminder, the four weeks of Advent, right, hope, which Bob preached on last week, preparation, waiting this week, joy, love, and then, of course, Christ on Christmas Eve. You know, even as I was looking at it, right, hope, joy, love, those all make sense, right? Those all make sense in this season. But then you, I was kind of like, preparation and waiting, like, how does that fit in? It seems a little odd, doesn't it? What's so important about the idea of preparation in this season that makes it part of a celebration of Advent that the church has celebrated for at least 1,200 years? Some people put it all the way back to the 500s. Um, and the preparing, some, something of the Advent, where we get the Advent calendar, right? It comes from way back in those times when monks were instructed to basically fast every day of the month of December in preparation for uh, you know, to celebrate the birth of Christ. <clears throat> we spend a lot of time preparing for things and other people in this season, don't we? But that's not really the preparation we're talking about this morning. We're talking about the preparation that takes place in our hearts as we seek to remember what this 
holiday represents. And what does it represent, right? The birth of Jesus, of course. Right? And we just, we just sang about that. I love that we sing these songs, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Right? The crux of all human history. The, the explosion of the infinite and divine into the finite. The God who is creator becoming his created. That's a profoundly amazing thought, right? To, to dwell on that this morning and think about that and prepare your, our hearts to, to refocus on that and what it means and what that's worth. All right, that event was something the Jews looked forward to for hundreds of years. The coming of the Messiah, the savior of the world, right? The one that would heal and restore and save but now looking back on something that happened more than 2,000 years ago, it can be a little hard to understand why we're still celebrating preparation, right? What are we preparing for? Like I said, there's a lot of things we prepare for this time of year. Uh, gifts, guests, decorations, all this. Here are a few statistics I found on the internet, so you know they're true. <coughs> Um, the average person spends uh, about 41 hours preparing for Christmas. Uh, half of Americans spend three or more hours cleaning their homes, getting ready for holiday guests. And uh, thank you, Gabe, for the totally apropos uh, survey there. On average, people spend more than 15 hours of holiday shopping. So, um, unless you're like Kelly and I, we were in the, wait, what category? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, if you have guests coming over this holiday season, how far in advance do you start preparing? If you have people arriving at 9 a.m. on Christmas morning, do you start cleaning the guest room at like 8 a.m.? Again, if you're me, you do, but that's different. Right, if you want to eat Christmas dinner at 5 p.m., do you start figuring out the menu at that point? Right? No, you prepare all of these things ahead of time. Sometimes days or weeks in advance, right? And that's all for other people. But what if Jesus himself was coming to your house? Right, in the book of Revelation, we find Jesus addressing seven diff- different churches directly. And to one of the churches, the church at Laodicea, he used this imagery. He, in addressing the things that, that were distracting them from following him, he says this, right? Be earnest and turn around. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He was saying, I'm here, but if you're not prepared to open the door and host me, I'll just be outside. (laughs) You know, he's not talking about showing up on Tuesday night for dinner, right? He's talking about the preparedness of our hearts to welcome him in. So what if he was coming to your house? The king of everything who created the universe calls the stars by name and holds them in perfect balance as standing at your door. What have you done to prepare for his arrival in your heart? What have you done to clean your house or to prepare to sit with him for a meal? See, we spend all this time fussing over the trappings of the season and preparing for others 
right? And that shows what that's worth to us, doesn't it? Yeah. So I'll ask again, what is Jesus worth to you? Does the busyness of the season draw your heart into preparation to know him? Or does it only serve to distract you? Is Jesus worth your time and your preparation? Do you know what it is you're preparing for? Do you know who Jesus is to you? Right, I always find it interesting to read about the religious leaders throughout the Bible. They're a testimony to the unchanging nature of the human heart. And I think they can show us something about the preparation of our hearts. See, when God sent prophets to Israel in the Old Testament to, to turn them from their error, they often, at the very least, didn't listen to them and often killed them <clears throat> because they did not really want to hear what the prophets had to say. Right? They, they didn't acknowledge the fact that these, this was the message of God. They couldn't see correctly. And those same prophets foretold the coming of this Messiah. By the time of Jesus, the religious leaders were looking for the Messiah. And then he showed up, but they missed it too. How did they miss the thing they'd been waiting for for so long? Right, Jesus even told them, right? Jesus said, and you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. But those very same leaders, upon hearing that Jesus had raised a man from the dead, like called him out of the grave four days after he was buried, raised him from the dead, they were worried and dismayed that people were following Jesus. <laughs> if you heard somebody did that, wouldn't you be like, well, we should pay attention to this guy. Instead, they were like, I don't know about this, uh, you know. <clears throat> and so what they do? They plotted to kill him, right? Oh, we wouldn't have done that way back when. We would have paid attention. And why? Why did they do that? Because like their ancestors, they couldn't see God's message to them. They were preparing for the wrong thing. See, Jesus didn't fit the mold they were expecting of the Messiah. So they couldn't see him for who he was. They wanted a warrior king and they got a servant instead. But are we really so different. Aren't we prone to look at them and say, well, I wouldn't have been that foolish if I had lived in that time. If I had seen Jesus, I would have not made that same mistake. But isn't it just as easy for us sometimes to get distracted with the ways that we want God to be to us and sometimes fail to see who he is to us? He is, after all, the very same king of the universe that came down to share in human life with us, born in an animal stall, no pomp or splendor? Are we sometimes guilty of wanting that same warrior king to come fix everything for us instead of preparing our hearts for the servant that he is? Do we find ourselves at times in this season waiting for the wrong thing? See, God doesn't come to us as we want him to be. He comes to us as the unchanging God he is. To be certain, he always meets us where we are, but he doesn't change himself to fit our mold. If we can make this season 
a season to prepare for his arrival, right? His advent, right? To us in a new and living way to see who he is and what he's really worth. It just might change everything. See, unlike the people of the Old Testament that looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, we are not those who prepare blindly. They didn't know exactly what they were waiting for, but we do. Right? Not only do we know the one who has come and what he has done, but we have the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth, to keep us knowing him and seeing him and preparing for him. And yet, sometimes we're still prone to distraction and forgetting what he's worth. And so this season is a season to, to call back to that, right? To reset, right? Really, the, you know, there's no difference really between December 31st and January 1st any more than there is between April 1st and May 1st, right? It's just another switching of the month. But we mark time as human beings, right? We celebrate a new year because we, we mark those things as, <clears throat> as, as benchmarks and, and, and points of remembrance, right? And so in this time, we prepare our hearts to go, hey, there's a new year coming, and that means something to our hearts. So let us prepare and remember and carry that into the new year and carry that into this, this time that we, we think of renewal, See, here's the thing about preparation, right? You don't get prepared by mistake or by chance. You don't just walk into the kitchen and open the fridge and you go, oh, look, Christmas dinner. (laughs) Lucky me. There we go. I I didn't know that I did that, you know? Right? Preparation takes time and focus. And we give that attention to things that we think are worth it. So again, what's he worth to you? Like I said before, if you're here at all, there's something about you that recognizes the value of this place and of Jesus. But have you let your heart be fully taken hold of by the value and worth of an infinite God that came down to make himself known to us in the most intimate way? What could be more worth your time and attention? So how do we do this? Right? How do we prepare our hearts to open the door to Jesus and be with him? Uh, one, we slow down, right? <clears throat> Even the world understands this. Watch this video. Never get bored. It turns out that when you get bored, you ignite a network in your brain called the default mode. So... Our body, it goes on autopilot while we're folding the laundry or we're walking to work, but actually that is when our brain gets really busy. So this is my brain in an fMRI, and I learned that in the default mode, that is when we connect disparate ideas, we solve some of our most nagging problems, and we do something called autobiographical planning. This is when we look back at our lives, we take note of the big moments, we create a personal narrative, and then we set goals and we figure out what steps we need to take to reach them. Here's boredom researcher Dr. Sandy Mann. Once you start daydreaming and allow your mind to really wonder, you start thinking 
a little bit beyond the conscious, a little bit into the subconscious, which allows sort of different connections um, to take place. It's really awesome, actually. But now we chill out on the couch, also while updating a Google Doc or replying to email. Here's what neuroscientist Dr. Daniel Levison says we're actually doing. Every time you shift your attention from one thing to another, the brain has to engage a neurochemical switch that uses up nutrients in the brain to accomplish that. So if you're attempting to multitask, you know, doing four or five things at once, you're not actually doing four or five things at once because the brain doesn't work that way. Instead, you're rapidly shifting from one thing to the next, depleting neural resources as you go. So a decade ago, we shifted our attention at work every three minutes. Now we do it every 45 seconds, and we do it all day long. The average person checks email 74 times a day and switches tasks on their computer 566 times a day. Researchers at USC have found they're studying teenagers who are on social media while they're talking to their friends or they're doing homework. And two years down the road, they are less creative and imaginative about their own personal futures and about solving societal problems. So the next time you go to check your phone, ask yourself, what am I really looking for? Because if it's to check email, that's fine. Do it and be done. But if it's to distract yourself from doing the hard work that comes with deeper thinking, take a break, stare out the window, and know that by doing nothing, you are actually being your most productive and creative self. It might feel weird and uncomfortable at first, but boredom truly can lead to brilliance. You can share this video with a friend. So I always find it interesting when, um, you know, when we find, we find videos like that that just really reaffirm the way God designed things. You know, um, young people pay attention to what he said about what they said about social media. Old people pay attention to what they said about social media, right? It's it's a profound thing, right? No wonder the devil uses constant distraction, right, in our lives. Social media, TV. I mean, let's be honest. When I grew up, they called TV the boob tube, right? You're just, uh, just staring at nothing. You know it. There's a reality to slowing down that changes the way that we think. So you go, wait, God wants me to be bored? No, but he wants you to be quiet long enough to hear him knocking at the door, speaking quietly and gently to you, right, as he's waiting there, right? It's in this preparation that we make space in our hearts and our minds and come to understand that we need something we don't have and that we're not God. Excuse me. Right, that's the place where worship begins. It's a funny thing when we talk about phones and TVs and all this stuff, right? We sometimes use the word amusement. Well, if you know anything about the etymology of that word, right? What is amuse? What was amuse in the ancient Greek world, right? Amuse was your inspiration, your spark, the fire that the creative spark and fire, right? I would say in our life, it's the spirit of God, right? It's our muse. If you put an A in front of something, that means without. That's where the word amusement comes from. It is without muse, right? 
amusement, constant scrolling and scrolling and watching and doing and clicking and video gaming and all this. It's amusement. It steals your muse. Right? It, it leaves no room for the openness of your heart. So put down your phone. Turn off the TV. Stop scrolling social media. Get quiet long enough to listen. Dwell on who he is, what he's worth, and all that he's done. And you might be surprised at what you hear. Another way to, to prepare your heart, reflect on the past year. Right? It's easy for us to get caught up in the needs of now and what's coming and wonder if God will handle those things for us. And one of the best ways to prepare our hearts for Jesus is to spend time reflecting back and looking for the ways that he has shown up in the past. Right? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Right? How do you have confidence in what you hope for or don't see? Because of what he's already done. Right? Faith is waiting, but waiting in the assurance of who God is and what he's already done for you. So grab a journal, spend some time talking with your spouse or with family or a friend or just sit with God and let him remind you of all the things he's done for you that you can only see in retrospect. And then prepare your heart to really trust him with what's coming. Third way to do it, give and serve. Right, the subtext of this whole series is that it's better to give right, than to be getting in this season. In a time that's so often focused on us and what we have to do and what we want and what, what we're going to get, look around to see where God needs you to be his hands and his feet. Look for someone else. Right, open your heart to the humility and service that marked Jesus' life and his arrival his advent here. Realize that the economy of the kingdom of God is upside down from what the world teaches, right? And that giving of ourselves is truly the best way to be filled up with the things that we really want. So find a way to be generous this season in a way that's out of the norm for you, that's unusual, that might be a little uncomfortable. Ask Jesus to meet you there. Right, and watch the joy that it brings into your heart and your life. Jesus is worth everything we can possibly give him. And we can't outgive him, right, in his love and generosity toward us. That's part of the idea of giving. Right? When we say, God, I want to give from what you've given to me, he goes, Great, I'll give you more. And my, my, my pocket is a lot deeper than yours, right? My well of giving is a lot deeper than yours. But to understand that, we have to be willing to prepare our hearts to hear what he wants for us, which is always the best thing. But to do that rather than what we think we want. God's love in the person of Jesus is truly the greatest gift available to every one of us. And listen, if you've never known that gift or you've never really fully experienced it, 
I hope your heart is drawn in in a new way this morning to hear him calling to you. And I, and I, I pray you'll take the time. I pray you take the time to let the living God come and meet you where you're at. For, keep in mind that yes, there'll be a time he's coming again and there'll be a time when the, the culmination of everything uh, arrives. But in the meantime, we prepare our hearts for what he has for us now. He's always standing at the door, ready for you to open it to him. He won't force his way in, but are you preparing to host him? So this is our, our second camp, oh, by the way, upgraded from Bob's lighter. There we go, yeah, yeah, there we go. So our second candle of preparation. So let's all take the time this Advent to prepare our hearts to meet Jesus in a new way, in a deeper way, and to see the infinite worth of the gift of new life in him. We're gonna go into communion now. As we do that, prepare your heart. Think about these things. Take that, take that bread and that wine, not only as a remembrance of what he did on the cross, but as the, the advent right, of everything that he has for you, of who he is as the living God for you. If you want to talk with somebody or have someone pray for you, we have a prayer team in the back. You're welcome to go back there. Um, and they, they'll pray for you if your heart is, is, uh, is being moved this morning. Um, thank you I hope you enjoy uh, the rest of your day let me pray over communion Lord Jesus we love you thank you for who you are we glorify you we glorify you for your coming help us to prepare our hearts for you not only today but this season and all year long We worship you, God. We give you what you are worth, which is everything. You've given us everything more than we could ever accomplish on our own. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. I pray that it moves our hearts this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen.